Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Trey. And today we decided we're going to do something a little bit different. Australia Day is January 26th. And uh, we decided that we would do an episode of our favorite new wave and alternative Australian bands. And one heavy metal band. Yeah, yeah. One of them is going to stick out like a sore thumb for sure. You you can't talk about Australian music and leave them out. They are, we'll get to them, but I'm pretty sure everybody knows who we're talking about already too. But you, you got to love them in some ways. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we had been talking about, Trey, is very recently Rolling Stone magazine put out their list of the 200 greatest singers of all time. And notably, not a single artist, not a single singer anywhere in that top 200 was Australian. And we feel that that was definitely a big oversight. So it sure was. I can think of a couple in there. So today we're going to talk about our 10 favorites. And we're also each going to throw in like kind of an honorable mention. So we're really going to be talking about 12. You have one tray that I've never heard of, and I suspect you probably haven't heard of the one I picked either. So this is going to be a very uh, variety, a, a variety of artists, I guess. Yep, yep, indeed. Up first, we're going to talk about ACDC. And there's a lot you can say about these guys. You know, I, I, I think they arguably divine heavy metal. You know, I think they're almost a signature just heavy metal band. Are they considered heavy metal or are they considered hard rock? I'm not always clear on where the distinction is between the two. You know, I think they're a little harder than just hard rock. Okay. You know, they can be pretty. I don't know how much you've listened to them. They can be pretty heavy when they want to be. Heavy when they want to be. Okay, I like that. If you've ever seen them live, they definitely are crunchy live. Okay. Well, unfortunately, I have not. We chose for each of these artists one representative song. And Trey, we were in unanimous agreement on this song, you and I. Thunderstruck.
think that. I wonder how much they've made off of this song because it's used everywhere. I mean, you, you it's, how many movies is this song in? It was in the Iron Man movies, wasn't it? I, I don't know. I've never actually seen those. I know it was in a was it Ford or Chevy commercial. Well, and it's also used as the theme song for the uh, the male entertainers known as the Thunder from Down Under. Yeah, which I didn't think of when I, I did that <laughs> post on Facebook about our episode. So <laughs> I, uh, I guess people in Australia don't know about that, though, do they? No, I, I don't know if they do or not. Well, it, so. wouldn't be, it wouldn't make sense to them to be like, what is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, the Thunder from Down Under, they're... Uh, uh, kind of like Chippendales. They're very muscular, well-oiled men dancing, you know, for the entertainment of the ladies. The night before my wedding in Las Vegas, uh, I did see the Thunder from Down Under and they did pull me on stage. So I I, uh, I will forever associate this song with that particular memory. I mean, it was... It was wild. <laughs> they get naked, like fully naked. Not totally. No, it's it's they they are wearing a uh you know like a bikini type bottom, you know. But it was it was pretty hot, Trey. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I've only ever even been in a strip club maybe twice in my life. I I don't know. <laughs> You know, I had to let loose the night before my wedding. So Oh, I don't blame you. It sounds like you had a blast, too, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. So back to ACDC. So, yeah, these guys are like the seminal Australian band. Right. There was a recent interview with Nicole Kidman where they asked her to name her favorite bands. And the first one off the top of her head was, she said, Akadaka. And... Everybody's like, who? what's Akadaka? But that's what Aussies call ACDC. Really? They call them Akadaka. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. You know, the, the thing with ACDC to me is, is that I like them. They're not a band. I go buy their records. But like if I came over to your house and you put on ACDC, I wouldn't complain about it either. And I've actually seen them live too. Oh, yeah. That was, a, that was a great concert. It was in 1990 on the Thunderstruck tour. Oh. I guess that was a Razor's Edge tour. I think that's what they opened up with, too. So ACDC has been around forever. They were formed in 1973 by the brothers Angus and Malcolm Young. Mm -hmm. Now, you might remember Trey in February of 1980, about seven months after the release of their breakthrough album, Highway to Hell, their lead singer, Bon Scott, died of acute alcohol poisoning after a night of heavy drinking. Yep. But the band sauntered on, uh, encouraged by Bon Scott's family. They did not want to see the band break up. So they brought on another singer named Brian Johnson, who first appeared on their album Back in Black, and he's been their vocalist ever since. I think that's the album that really put them on the map, too. I definitely, definitely. Although, you know, I do remember hearing some of their early stuff with Bon Scott on the radio here in Chicago. Like uh, Dirty Deeds. WLS radio here in Chicago used to play like Dirty Deeds all the time. So I had to be like six, seven years old and I was singing that song. I had no idea what it was about, but I, I used to sing it all the time when it came on. I think every ACDC song is pretty much about sex. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I don't think I realized that until I was about 17. Like it just kind of 
I was like, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, so who you... made who? Who made who is not about sex. No, what's that about? The Stephen King movie, uh, uh, Maximum Overdrive. That's about the movie. The, yeah, the whole album was specifically oh, written for that movie. Okay, the Stephen King's request. Oh, that's actually my favorite song, Bob. Okay, well, Thunderstruck is mine. Well, and I love the audience participation in that song too. Uh, yeah, they did that when I saw. Yes, I mean, it, I love stuff like that where you get the whole audience chanting along with the band. That's so freaking cool. Brian Johnson like made everybody do it. Like he walked out there and held his arms up and just stood there and had everybody chant. And then That's they cool. launched into the song. That's cool. So you you definitely know more about them than I do. The only other thing I know about them is that Malcolm Young died from the effects of dementia about five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty sad. I was watching some of their videos on YouTube last night thinking about this show. Apparently they're going on tour this summer, so... I think I read somewhere that Malcolm's nephew has taken his place. In the yeah, game. yeah. So I might go That's see him. Be oh, kind of cool. fun. They're a fun concert, man. Like I said, I don't love them. Seeing them live, they're they're fantastic musicians, and it sounds just like the record, you know. Mm-hmm. Plus, Brian Johnson's really good at getting the crowd going. This is one of those bands where I don't own any of their music, but if I ever got an invitation to go to one of their live shows, I would go without hesitation. I don't think there's much else we could say about this band. I mean, they rock large. And like I said, they are probably the definitive heavy metal band out there. Yeah, no signs of slowing down. You know, I heard somebody say once, ACDC's put out the same album about 15 times, but it's always good. And people keep buying it. Right. I've heard that too. I was like, you got a point, but you're right. It's always good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so next up in our list of Australian acts, we have Nick Cave. So he started off with a band called The Birthday Party, and we did listen to one of their songs in our Halloween episode. And then he went on to form Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And they did this song, which is called Red Right Hand. saying to Laurie when we were preparing for the episode, I really don't know a whole lot about Nick Cave, but I did see him live once. And uh, it was Lollapalooza 94. How was it? It was it was it was interesting to see. I, I like I said, I really I I didn't know any of his music at the time. I knew who he was. I obviously had read about him and 
heard of him at that point, but it, it was an interesting show. It was on the side stage. Okay. It wasn't on the main stage. Remember how they used to do that? Yeah. So, you know, he had a good crowd standing there watching him. Okay, so this particular song is probably best known from the, uh, it's the theme song from Peaky Blinders. Is that what you named your cat after? <laughs> no, my cat is named Pinky, not Peaky. <laughs> I, it's another cartoon, isn't it? Pinky in the Brain. No, Peaky Blinders is actually a, it's a British like crime drama series starring Killian Murphy. Is it really? I, have, yes. I, I honest to God, I thought that was some cartoon. I thought it was something from Adult Swim or something. Oh, okay, no, it's it's, it's a British British crime drama. Far out. Well, and you can kind of see. I mean, I've never seen the series, but listening to that song, you can kind of picture how that might fit into that kind of a a genre of television show. As I mentioned previously, a lot of my goth friends are really super into Nick Cave. I actually had to reach out to my friend Sonia, who loves Nick Cave. And I said, hey, if you had to pick one song to introduce somebody to Nick Cave who's never heard Nick Cave before, what song would you play? And she said this one, Red Right Hand. Well, there you go. I understand. I understand the appeal. I also know that he was good friends with Michael Hutchins of NXS and actually sang at Michael's funeral. And I understand from people that were there, it was a very moving performance. He insisted on it not being filmed because it was a private moment for him. So I don't think there's any footage of that performance, but I respect him as an artist. I respect him as a songwriter. Uh, I respect him, you know, as, as a, a friend of Michael Hutchins. A lot of people call him the Frank Sinatra guy. I've heard that before. Yeah. Which you, I can kind of see. Yeah. So uh, we did include him because he is definitely one of the most influential Australian alternative artists from those decades. So mm -hmm. we would be remiss if, if we left him out. Oh, totally. So Trey, what's next? We have The Church. We're going to listen to Under the Milky Way, which is probably their signature song. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Lower the curtain down Memphis Lower the curtain down on right I got no time for private consultation Under the Milky Way tonight Wish I knew what you Now, I don't know the church the way you do. I know, like, 
I know they're singles. I know that, you know, they're big hits. This is my absolute favorite song by them. And it's just such a beautifully written song. And it gives me the chills when I listen to it. It's also very timeless. I mean, as you listen to this, this could be 80s. I mean, it is. But it could also just as easily have been written in like this decade. You know what I mean? It's got a very timeless quality to it. Oh, for sure. It's one of those songs. I, I, I didn't know who the... I, I, I think I probably had heard of the Jerks when this came out, but I just wasn't really aware of them. Mm -hmm. And I heard this. I saw the video premiere on 120 Minutes back, I think it was February of 88, and just lost my mind over it. And within a week, I'd gotten the Starfish album and freaking loved it. That album was one of the best albums ever recorded. I don't care what anyone says. Then I found out they had six or seven other albums before, which I quickly over the course of 1988, got a hold of, loved them all. You know, the church is still very prolific. I think they're on album, I think it's 28 now. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, they're on, they're down to one original member, which I don't care for. Marty Wilson Piper was our guitar player, and his guitar playing is phenomenal. I, I just don't feel like they're the same without him in the band. And he left a couple, six, seven years ago. Steve Kilby is the, he was the main song here, put it this way. He was the lead songwriter in the band. So the magic is still there. And I saw the Starfish tour in early June of 88. They literally blew the doors off the freaking place, which hmm. I think that was probably the first time in my life I'd really seen a band do that. You know, I just totally wasn't expecting that. Oh, cool. I discovered the church in 88 as well. Um, mm -hmm. I was working in a record store and, you know, we get all the demo copies for mm -hmm. patrons to listen to. And I put this on and I, I didn't know who they were. And I'm just like, what is this? Yeah, that was the you same know? way. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Now, I've never seen any of their videos, believe it or not. They they had another song that they did called Reptile that was really good. Too. Oh wow, that song absolutely rocks. Yeah, that song rocked live. They just barn burner <laughs> was nuts. That whole album is fantastic. The opening song, Destination, Antenna, the outro song, Hotel Room, just absolutely rules. I probably listen to that whole album once a month. I mean, that's how much I love it. I, I couldn't tell you how many copies of it I've owned. Fantastic, fantastic album. I guess that'll come up again, too, when we get to 88, so. Okay, anything else about the church? I think we about covered it. They've, they've done so much that it, it would be hard to really even give a basic history of them without rattling on for half an hour. So <laughs> okay. if you're interested in them, get on the internet, check them out. They are a wonderful band with a pretty interesting history too okay so our next band then is crowded house and they're best known for this single don't dream it's over Traveling with me Hey now, hey 
had this album. Yeah. Did you? I didn't personally own it. But you couldn't you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing this song. You know, I it, felt it was like down here something so strong got bigger. Oh, see now I forgot that was by them too. I couldn't think of the, the other one that they did, but yeah. Summer of eighty seven. You couldn't take a mm -hmm. step around here without hearing that one. You've seen the video every five minutes. Yeah. So Crowded House is a project that was created by Neil Finn. He's also known as a member of the band Split Ends, yep, yep. which he founded with his brother, Tim. Now, the only song that Split Ends did that got any airplay over here in the States was I Got You. Yet again, I had a girlfriend in my life who loved the band, but I didn't think much of them. This time it was Split Ends. Yeah. And she didn't like Crowded House, oddly. Sorry. Huh. I only like this one album by Crowded House. They don't have too many albums, though, do they? I think they're still... One of them committed suicide in the... Was it a 93? I think it was a bassist. March 26, 2005. Oh, was that recent? I thought it was in the 90s. God bless the internet. Yeah, that's, that's hard to believe now, isn't it? Yeah, so that was Paul Hester. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Hmm. That's very sad. Well, Neil Finn, as you probably know, Trey, has since gone on to replace Lindsey Buckingham and Fleetwood Mac. When Lindsey left in 2018. I was aware of that. Yeah, Neil Finn took his place. Well, they're gone. They're they're done. Stevie Nicks said it somewhere. Yeah. They, they, they can't carry on without her. Yeah, yeah. So up next, we have the Diviners. I guess it's that, you know, the Divinals are, were a great band, but they, I think they were best known for their very attractive lead singer, Christine Amphill. But I first got into them in the mid-80s with their What a Life album when a clerk in a record store suggested it to me, and I, I purchased it on a whim, really, and got home and listened to it thought it was fantastic. I really know how to describe this band, ain't Kind of new wave, and they, they, they almost kind of had a hard rock edge to their music at times, too. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember the first time I heard them, there was a video on the earlier days of MTV called All the Boys in Town that mm -hmm. got some airplay. And I, it was a subject matter that is not something that <laughs> you would usually, you, you didn't hear a lot of it in pop music at the time. So, I mean, it really caught my attention. That and, as you mentioned, Chrissy Amphlett's you know, look, you know, she kind of had the, the naughty schoolgirl look about her. She was beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Drop Dead Gorgeous. So I think they're best known for the song, I Touch Myself. <laughs> so let's play a little bit of that while Trey gets his composure.
I think this is probably one of the most hated home. You know, those lists of songs that people hate. Yeah. I think this, I like it, but, you know, I sent it to my girlfriend once and she got all mad at me. She's like, I hate that damn song. I was like, good Lord, I was being silly. It, it was one of those songs that if you were listening to it on the radio, if you were in the car with your parents and this song came on, you turn like 20 different shades of red, but. I couldn't believe it. it just got so big and it was on, you know, like the top 40 station here and even the uh, adult contemporary station. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I mean, this was really the only song they did that got any kind of chart action here in the States. Yeah. And it's really kind of a shame because I think they're really an underrated band. If oh, you were to, sure. if you were to watch the DVD of the Australian made tour, which does feature in excess, it does feature uh, a few other Australian bands, but the footage of Divinals in particular, just really, really amazing raw live performance. I mean, she really could command an, an audience. So it was um, Chrissy and guitarist Mark McEntee. The, they were like the two founding members. McEntee? I always said McEntee, but I don't know. You're probably pronouncing it correctly, and I'm probably slaughtering it. Mark McEntee? He was mm -hmm. a pretty, he's a pretty good guitarist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, on a sad note, Chrissy died of breast cancer in 2013. Yes, I was pretty sad about that. I don't think you and I quite knew each We didn't know each other yet. I made a big post on Facebook about it. Almost no one paid attention to her. I guess no, they're not a well-known band over here in the U.S. Yeah. Other than no. that one song. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next we have an alternative band called the Hoodoo Gurus. And this is their song, Come Anytime. very familiar with the hoodie gurus they're one of the I guess you could say in 86 i got into it they were one of the first alternative rock bands i got into they had this song called dig it up have you ever heard that one yes i have mm -hmm. <laughs> when i was 16 i thought that was the funniest thing ever well the lead singer dave faulkner has a very distinctive very unmistakable voice He's one of those people when he's singing, he almost sounds like he's just talking to me. And I don't mean that like he's not a good singer, but he just, you, you know what I mean? Maybe. I mean, I would I would say that about somebody like Robert Smith. If you try to sing along with Robert Smith, he's kind of half singing, half talking. 
I, I wouldn't say Robert was known for his vocal skills, but he can pull off some good yells. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, we'll go with that. We'll go with what you said about <laughs> Dave Faulkner. I, I, I chose this particular song. This is my favorite song by them. It's from their album, Magna Cum Laude. Was this 89, right? Yes, which uh, obviously is a play on Magna Cum Laude. Mm-hmm. Right. For those of you who are overeducated more than anything, though, it's the thundering bass of this song that just really gets me. And some American fans might recognize it as the theme song for the 2007 comedy series. Thank God you're here, which was like an improv series. And this is what they use for the theme song. And it really kind of fit the theme of the show. Do you remember that show at all? It was just kind oh, of like, I was say, you know me, I'm not a big TV yeah. watcher. It was just for one summer in 2007. And it was like an improv show where they would put an actor into a scene without giving them any idea what the scene's going to be. And the first line is always, thank God you're here. So like, you know, they take an actor and they, they'd have a, uh, an emergency room scene, you know, where they had nurses and a patient and everything. The actor walks in, they had no idea what they were walking into. They're walking into an emergency room. Doctor, thank God you're here. And the actor had to improvise the scene. And so that choice of song, Come Anytime, was perfect for that because that's kind of what the actors were doing. You know, they're coming in kind of, you know, like a come as you are, come into the scene and and, you know, here you are. The only thing with this song is the video that MTV's 120 minutes seemed to run it every week for most of 89, and I just got tired of it. You know, I remember seeing Almost. it on MTV, but I don't, I can't for the life of me think what the video was. I, I, it, it's drawing a blank in my head. I can't either now that you, now that you mentioned it, I can't, it just left my mind. That type of situation. <laughs> it was just your standard performance video with some, 80 stuff thrown in there you know you know yeah. how they did videos back then i just got so tired. i was like god i wanted to call mtv and go you stop playing that damn thing <laughs> oh there were definitely some videos we wanted to do that within the 80s i'm sure up next they have the band ice house and this is our song no promises I only know their two hits. Right. Electric Blue and Crazy. Do you know the story behind Electric Blue? Tell me. John Oates wrote it. That I did know. Do you know how what inspired it? No. 
he was on a new beach and a woman with really large breasts started walking towards him. And he was like, all I could do was look into her eyes and she had blue eyes. Okay. And it was like electric blue. You know, it's interesting because that is the one song by Ice House that I don't care for. Is I like it. I love that song. It gets in my head all the time. Yeah, Ice House for me, I listened to a lot in the late 80s. Their album, Man of Colors, I think I wore out my cassette of that. I listened that is to a good album. It, I did have that. It is really good. This predates that a little bit. This was on their previous album. So the lead singer, Iva Davies. Now, I hope I'm saying his name right. but I don't know if it's pronounced Iva or Eva. I, I'm not really sure. I've seen both. I think it's Iva. But it's short for I-V-O-R, which is Evor. So I don't <laughs> That's why I'm confused. A weird name. Yeah. So he's actually a classically trained musician. Yeah. Uh, he plays the oboe, of all things, which is a really haunting instrument. <laughs> they started off as a pub band called The Flowers. And, you know, Australian pub bands, they were known for basically doing covers of top 40 songs. But eventually they evolved into the synth pop sound that would become Ice House. They're definitely one of the more successful Australian alternative bands. You mentioned Electric Blue, which I think was probably their biggest single. Crazy was another one that I absolutely adore. Yeah, I love that song. And, I love uh, the video. I don't know if I've seen, you know, and I never seen the video for I crazy. I don't think I have, you know, okay. At this time period, you gotta, well, okay. You got to understand I was working two jobs and I was in high school full time. I didn't have a lot of spare time to watch television. Most of the new music I picked up, I picked up at the record store that I was working at and including this one. We might want to pull that out and let you watch it right quick. Cause it's a fantastic video and it tells a story. Okay. I can't, I can't believe you've never seen that. All right, I'm gonna pause. I'm that in a bad way. I just, I'm like, what? I'm gonna pause our recording. Yeah, play that video. Coming up to seven o'clock here, and the sun's rising. I'm about to go home. You've been listening to the late night shift, and if I'm dreaming, don't wake me tonight. Before I go, I'm about to take one more request here on Stereo Sydney. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Do you mind if I wake you tonight? Is that a request? Well, can you play crazy for me? Talk about some poor Australian fashion choices. What are you, mid-stomach pants with the suspenders? And that bullet is just fantastic. Oh, I mean, yeah. Award-winning. Award Australian men in the 80s could pull off the mullet better than anybody I on the planet. See, I, it yeah. must not have been something you made fun of over there. I don't know. Yeah, in the 80s, everybody was still into it. So, hey, speaking of beautiful Australian mullets, what band is next? In excess. We're going to play Kiss the Dirt. Play.
right. So we have talked quite a bit about in excess in this podcast. We are completely, yes, completely obsessed with in excess. The lead <laughs> singer, Michael Hutchins, would have turned 63 this past Sunday, January 22nd. Wow, 63. Yeah, that's very hard to picture, isn't it? You think they'd still be going? I don't know. I mean, Michael definitely had aspirations to go off and do his own thing with Max Q and with his solo work, but I think they probably would have found their way back to each other, like Duran Duran, right? I mean, Duran Duran, they went off, they did their little side projects, Arcadia, the power station, but they always found their way back to each other. When Duran Duran got down to two members there, I just know I don't see an excess ever gotten like that. Yeah, it's kind of hard because three of them are brothers, as you know, you know, Tim, John and Andrew. This is, you know, this is another thing, like you said, we've said so much about them, but there was so much you could say here that, you know, this is definitely one of their standout tracks. I always like it, especially that distorted guitar there and the breakdown in the middle. Oh, yeah. Tim's like just shredding it. And yeah. the video Listeners, if you have not seen the video for <laughs> Kiss the Dirt, you need to watch it because that video is Australia. I've never been there, but that is everything that I envision Australia to be with, you know, uh, the <laughs> desert and the bonfires and uh, it's just gorgeous. It, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous video. Don't forget the poor fashion choices, too. Stop with the poor fashion choices. I think they look absolutely freaking fantastic in that video. You didn't grow up in the South, so maybe that's why you don't see some of this stuff as funny as I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> probably true. I'm a city girl. So yeah, and you know, while we're on the subject of Australian music, so did you realize, Trey, that NXS actually were investors in the film Crocodile Dundee? No, I hadn't. Wow. Well, actually, idea. the idea was, if for tax purposes, they were trying to lose money. And they thought the movie was going to be a total stinker and that they were going to lose money and they could write it off for their taxes. And they made millions? Yes. It's <laughs> a good movie. It's, you know, I, I rewatching it now, there's some parts of it now that are very awkward. Uh, I think, you know, at the time it was very good. Uh, there's the whole thing with the the chauffeur of the limousine, the guy that played Urkel's dad on Family Matters. And there's a couple exchanges between him and Paul Hogan where, you know, Paul's talking about him being an Aborigine and stuff. And it's like, dude, that's awkward. But I guess we didn't know any better in the 80s. I was going to say it was, a, it was the mid 80s. I mean, it was a right, different right. time. You can't fault things for the context of period of time. Like there's some old literature that's got some yeah nice words in it i'm like you can't tear that yeah. apart over that. Well, i'm not i'm not i'm not tearing it apart I'm oh i'm not saying parts, you you know there, you know there what are I parts mean. of it parts of it that didn't age super right well. and the, the drag queen scene mm -hmm. so again we've said so much about in excess in particular if you want to go back listeners and listen to our episode on shabu shaba we did an album deep dive and we are going to be talking more about them in the future i'm sure i was going to say we're going to dedicate a whole other episode to them aren't we probably two or three more at least yes uh <laughs> there is a petition to get nxs into the rock and roll hall of fame that's at inductnxs.com and we would love to get more signatures on it so everybody uh you know please visit the website please sign the petition 
can't think of a more worthy band. Everybody that's on this list that is not already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in excess deserve to be there. Is ACDC in there? Yes, 2003. I think they're likely the only band on here that's in there. Up next, we have Minute Work with their massive first hit, Who Can It Be Now? this album did you i did yeah i did and actually i don't know if i messaged you a couple weeks ago when i was in a record store i found a copy of cargo I had at that my record too. store and uh, like like two weeks ago so i so i bought it it was you know oh, did sale. you oh yeah yeah because it vinyl no no i i'm, I'm digital cd yeah oh 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 but yeah, so this is one of those bands that when they came out, I think a lot of people wrote them off as a novelty act, especially given I mean, their song kind, Down Under. They kind of were in some ways, though, and I don't think they did that at all. They definitely, they had a very silly attitude. A lot of their songs were somewhat silly, and I don't think they had a problem with it at all. But I think as time went on, I think they really evolved to be very, very good songwriters, specifically Colin Hay, the lead singer. By the time they got to Cargo, I think they got a lot more serious. They lost a lot of the silliness and they got a lot more critical acclaim on their second album. But I think they lost a lot of their fans because they did lose kind of that that zaniness that they had. I liked it. I liked Cargo. Yeah, I no, I did too. There are definitely some really, really strong tracks mm -hmm. on there. And I almost played a song off of Cargo for this representative song, but then I thought, you know what? Who Can It Be Now is really kind of the definitive Men at Work song. Yeah, you, you've got to pick that one. So yeah, in the mid-80s, like what, starting at about 83 or so, every time you turned around, it was Men at Work. Yes, they were all over the place. They were the didn't they win a Grammy for a Best New Band? Yes, Best New Artist, 1983. Yep. Okay, my memory's not as bad as I thought. <laughs> I remember my parents even liked this album. When I got it, I guess it was Christmas of 82. We were all listening to it the whole entire week after Christmas. It was just getting played in our house. Well, can I tell you a little secret that I've never confided in anybody before? Well, of course you can, but you're <laughs> telling the whole world right now. So That's fine, that's fine. In grade school band, I played the flute. Really? And the reason that I picked up the flute was because of their song Down Under. And because Wow, that's pretty mm -hmm. pretty interesting. Boom. That's that's cool. That's a good good influence here. That's a that's great. Yeah. yeah. So there. Now everybody knows my secret is out. I am a former flautist. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, they got sued over that later on. Yeah, because and they... Greg Ham ended up taking his life over it. Uh, did he really? Yeah, it was rather I, recently, too. I, I didn't know that he... Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, because Greg Ham, I mean, he was probably the most striking appearance-wise of all the band members. There was no note or nothing, but a lot of people that knew him said they thought he was despondent over that. When did he die? It was right within the past. It was recent. They were sued in 2009. The flute riff from that song was supposedly copied from a song called Kookaburra. The ruling was that they did infringe on the copyright and they had to pay something like 5% of their royalties back to the person that owned the copyright for Kookaburra. According to Wikipedia, it says he was found dead on April 19th, 2012. Several newspapers listed the cause as a heart attack. There have been allegations that Ham had a long battle with heroin addiction, and the cause of death is still being debated. Oh, I, I just, wow. It is known that he was depressed and suffering anxiety over the copyright lawsuit filed against him. But I don't know if they ever specifically concluded that it was suicide or well, not. We should leave that out then. I was mistaken. I remember reading it listed as a suicide when it happened. Boy, this. <laughs> that took a dark note, turn. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's um, all right. It's all right. So moving then, I guess, to the last of our 10 bands, and that would be Midnight Oil. And this is their song, Beds Are Burning. in excess kind of moved in a lot of the same circles as a matter of fact at one time they shared a manager and it was midnight oils manager that actually came up with the name in excess for the band yep the lead singer peter garrett was very well known for being a political activist yep. a lot of their songs are very socially conscious like this one this one uh beds are burning is basically dealing with land stolen from the native Australian Aboriginal peoples. And I mean, it could apply to the United States and land stolen from Native Americans just as easily. Yeah, indeed. So they were very much like the voice of like a socially conscious generation, I guess. 
And Peter Garrett was actually in politics for a while. Yeah, yeah. Sort of a congressman equivalent over there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a, a member of the Australian House of Representatives in 2004. Then in 2007, he got named the Minister for the Environment, Heritage, and the Arts. And in 2010, Minister for School Education, Early Childhood, and Youth. But he retired from politics in 2013 and went back to music. Moonlight Oil is another one of those bands where I, when I heard of them and got the album, I had no idea they had, you know, 15 previous albums. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I, I feel bad because I've said this a couple of times on the show, but I, I just really don't know a whole lot about it. I know primarily their big singles, you know, this one, Blue Sky Mining. I was going to say Blue Sky Mining. Yeah. Yeah, this was taking me back. I could visualize that summer. I think it was Dream World. It got some play here. You know what? You know, I want to say something. <laughs> back in the 80s, Columbia would print the album cover art so small on their cassettes. Oh, yeah. And I remember when I got this cassette, it was just like a postage stamp on the front of the cassette. And it annoyed, annoyed me to no end. Yeah. And there was yeah. never any info inside of their cassettes. It was just, you know, you open it up and it's just white on the inside. I'm like, right. No lyrics, no no liner notes. You know, who are these people? Something, guys. Yeah. So that is the 10 artists that we chose, Trey, to be kind of representative of what we thought were the best of Australian bands in the 80s and 90s. There are a couple, I think, that you wanted to mention. I know you wanted to mention Olivia. How can we not mention Olivia Newton-John? I mean, she's just, you know, she was a fantastic lady. But, you know, her music was, some of it wasn't that great, you know, I'll be honest with it. But, hey, she was in Greece and she was in Xanadu, which is one of the best movies ever made. It was pretty sad when she passed away last year. Mm -hmm. I think she was one of my first real crushes in my life, too. Probably like a lot of guys my age. And she had the number one song on the Billboard charts in, was it 1982? Let's Get Physical? Yeah, physical. Yeah. Physical. And, and that's no small feat. So, you know, yeah, she definitely deserves a mention. But these were the 10 alternative with an asterisk because we know ACDC isn't really alternative. You know, at the end of the day, heavy metal in a, in a way is alternative music in and of itself. Okay. You know, it's not mainstream, like, you know. I think I would argue that ACDC is pretty mainstream. I mean, they are. But heavy metal in and of itself is kind of, you know, it's okay. not what you would call top 40 music. There's some, certainly some heavy metal bands have gone top 40. Including ACDC. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, Trey, you and I were originally going to try and rank these from 10 to 1. We decided, we, we gave that up as a futile exercise, and instead you came up with a suggestion for what we're going to do. We're going to let our listeners vote on our Facebook page. Lori, are you going to put a poll up, or how are we going to do this? I am, yes. So find Accelerated Culture Podcast on Facebook, and I will create a poll, and you can vote for which of the 10 artists that we've talked about is your favorite. And we will announce the results on a future episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. Now, Trey, you and I each had one Australian artist that we wanted to include as an honorable mention. And these, I think, are a little bit more obscure that maybe our listeners don't necessarily know. Do you want to talk about yours? Mine was the Baby Animals. They had a 
slight hit in 91 with the song Painless. It's off of a fantastic album. You want to feel a little warmth, a little mercy. You want to feel like this is real, but it's so cold this time of year. And everywhere you like to go is a reminder. You can smell him in the air, but this has just been unfair. I don't care, cause life was never meant to be painless. I don't think they really did. They, they had a lot of hype around them, but I think they were supposed to get much bigger than, you know, what ended up happening. I think part of the problem here is they put them on tour of Van Halen. How does that work? Right. I, I, I'm not bagging on Van Halen here, but I just don't think that was their audience. Right. Exactly. They have a connection to NXS, too, which I'll let you mention, Lori. Suze DeMarchi. DeMarchi? Okay. Susan Why do DeMarchi? I know? Oh, right, right. And she was being considered. Right. She was actually announced as being the replacement for Michael Hutchins. Right, right, right. That there was some consideration that she was going to be the lead singer. And in fact, that's why they called the album Switch, because the idea was it was kind of an allusion to switching the gender of the singer. I think so, because this was in 2001. It doesn't say why they canceled it. I think because they went the direction of Rockstar in Excess with Mark Burnett. I think that's why they ultimately canceled it. Apparently, she only sang with them that one time, was announced as a replacement, and then it just fizzled out. Yeah. This yeah. was in 2001. Yeah, but, you know, before I read that about, which I, I literally just read a few weeks ago, I'd never heard that before. I, I'd never heard of this band. She's definitely got a, a very unusual voice, you know, really beautiful. So I definitely want to hear more. That out their 1991 album, Baby Animals, is a fantastic listen. So you listeners out there, if you've never heard this band, go check that record out. I guarantee you'll like it. I would call it middle of the road hard rock. Okay. The song you chose doesn't really sound very hard rock to me. Hard rock light? It's definitely a power ballad. Yeah. They were kind of going for that that was going on then. I guess it was just different in Australia. Like their sort of hair metal y type thing was a bit they had a different take on it than we did. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, speaking of female vocalists, the band that I chose, and this is actually, I think next to NXS, this is my favorite Australian band of all time. And that is Single Gun Theory. And I think they're best known for this song, From a Million Miles. Despairing, despair. 
This is another band I feel bad. I just don't know anything about. A lot of people really don't. They should have been a lot bigger than they were. So the lead singer's named Jackie Hunt. There's Calf Power on vocal melodies and synthesizer and Peter Rivet Karnick on guitar synthesizers and sampling. They started off because they won a radio competition in Australia, uh, the radio station Double J, and they won. And so then they got free studio time and they were signed to the network record label, which is a Canadian record label. Which was the home of Skinny Puppy. Yeah. And a lot of other. And Sarah McLaughlin. Now, it's interesting that you mention her because they opened for her on her 1994 North American tour. You know, I just want to add that Network was essentially started for Skinny Puppy. Oh, was it really? See, I didn't know that. He was a friend of the band, so he put together a label to get them get going. So I love everything that Single Gun Theory has done. I don't know if this is true or not, but one of my friends, when he heard the name of the band back in the 90s, kind of laughed and said, you know, that that's about the John F. Kennedy assassination, that the, the single gun theory. Oh, duh. Which I, I've never seen that on in any interviews or anything with the band. So I don't know if that's why they chose it or not. But hmm. I thought that was interesting. But it makes that up. Yeah, yeah. I love, especially with their second album, uh, their 1991 album, Millions Like Stars in My Hands, Daggers in My Heart, Wage War. That's the name of the album. Jackie and Peter had just gotten back from traveling across Europe and Asia. And so they blended a lot of world music sounds and samples into their music, which you can hear. You heard it in From a Million Miles. There was some like Indian and Turkish uh, music chanting type stuff in there. A lot of their music blends samples from things in like the universe of metaphysics. There's some songs where they're talking about astral projection. There's a couple references in some of their songs to like the Montauk project. Were they into LSD? I have no idea. No, I'm being silly. They may very well have been. I don't know. <laughs> I absolutely adore them. I think they're an absolutely fabulous band. They should have been a lot bigger than they were. And I, I can listen to them all day, every day. So that's my honorable mention, single gun theory. I'm going to check them out. Oh, cool. I can't say I've ever heard anything by them. I'm familiar with the name, obviously, but I will check them out. All right. So we're going to come back in two weeks, Trey. And I think we're going to be resuming with our uh, music of 1985. Is that correct? That is correct, Laurie. We're going to move on to 1985. Fantastic. There's a lot happened in 85 because this is when I first heard The Cure. I have a hunch we're going to have to split this into two episodes like we did. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because the, the, the cure bit's going to be long. Yeah. We'll do half on the cure. No, I'm just well, kidding. It's <laughs> I, I, my life. You don't understand. Well, right? you know, no, I do. I get it. I totally get it. I've had a couple bands that I felt that way about, too. One day I was a normal kid at an eyes lot. The next day I showed up at school in a black T-shirt and which I think is funny because you still have the black t-shirt and you have the black hair. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have I, the black hair back then. Can I tell our listeners about my Christmas present? Go ahead. <laughs> so I got Trey for Christmas, the Funko Pop figure of Robert Smith from The Cure. And he said when he opened it, his stepmother looked at it and thought that it was a, a Funko Pop of him. 
She, she, you know, I, I don't know how she knows this, but you can have an action figure made of yourself now. But she wondered, had I done that or somebody sent, you know, sent it to me as a joke? Well, that's quite a compliment, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> She's not wrong. It does kind of look like me. You can see my hair right now. The hair mm -hmm. thing is mm -hmm. real similar to this. Okay, so we're coming back in two weeks, 1985. Be there or be square. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me, and thank you, thank you, thank you again, everybody, for listening.